The series on Job is not the longest series that I've ever done, just so you know. Some of you think this thing is never going to end. Fifteen sermons, just so you know. Not the longest I've ever done. Does anybody know who's been here a while? I've been here nine years. Does anybody know the number of sermons in the longest sermon series I've ever done? You will be first in line today. You will get to eat first. That is your prize. Best I can offer you. You can go three times for dessert if you want. Does anybody know the length of that sermon series? Anybody know? Hmm? Hmm? 22. 22. That's close. It's not right. <clears throat> higher, as they say. Yeah, on the, the old price is right. Higher, higher. 27 is really close. 20, who said 28? You get to eat first. <clears throat> Way to go, Leah. 28 sermons I did in 2011. I looked it up because I thought, man, 15 sermons. I did 28 sermons beginning the year in 2011. We did a series basically on just some different people in the Bible, and, and it took 28 sermons. Now, if you want to be second in line, can you, can you, can you guess how many chapters... Uh, the two books that I've done 20 and 21 sermons on, how many chapters they were, both in the New Testament. Anybody, I did, uh, there was a series I did that was 20 sermons, and one I did was 21 on, on two different books. They have the same amount of chapters. Actually, one of them has one more chapter than the other. I'll give you, give you a guess. Anybody know? Nope. Good guess. Both together. No, that's a good, better guess. I did a sermon series on the book of Philippians, that was, is four chapters long. 21 sermons we squeezed out of four chapters. So, and, and then on the book of James, I did 20 sermons in, on five chapters. So be grateful, okay? Just so you know, be grateful. There are 42 chapters in the book of Job. We got done in 15 sermons, okay? I mean, that's, that's rolling for me. You guys understand that. We could have spent years, years in the book of Job. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine. He was asking me, he said, you know, hey, what have you been preaching on? And we were kind of going back and forth. And I said, I've been preaching through the book of Job. He said, like, like everything in the book of Job. I said, no, 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 no. I said, because he knew there's 42 chapters in the book of Job. He said, man, that'll take you forever. And I said, no, we, we, uh, we, we, we narrowed it down. Um, this is not the longest sermon series that I've ever done, but I, I think perhaps it's the most intense. Uh, it, it, in some ways, it has been the most important. I, I, I know that all of the, the preaching of God's Word is important, but it has seemed to me that, that during this, uh, it, this series on Job, it has opened some, some conversations. I, I have, um, I have done probably in this series more, uh, per capita, if you will, uh, counseling pastoral counseling sessions than, than on any other sermon series. It just seems to, to kind of hit where we are. And and it's not because of anything I've said. It's because God put it in the Scripture and He knows exactly what He's doing. But we're at the end today, and, and some, in, in some ways, will be sad to see the book of Job go. It's it's spoken to you. you you've learned some things through it. It's 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 opened up some, some areas of your life that maybe needed to be addressed. Some, of course, are not sad to see it go. It deals with the same topics over and over and over, doesn't it? Man, this is the same sermon for 15 weeks, you know. Some, I think, are probably scared to see it go. What if what happened to Job happens to me? I mean, I, I don't know about that. 
We've learned a lot, at least I have, through this series. We've learned that, that although generally it is true that we reap what we sow, we've learned that the idea of retribution is not biblical. The idea being that if you do good, you automatically get good. And if you do bad, then you'll get bad in return. And, and if you're getting good things, you must have done something good to deserve them. But if you're getting bad things in your life, then you must have done something bad to deserve them. That's the idea of retribution. <clears throat> that God is bound to that. That that's how life operates. We've learned that's not exactly true. God is not bound by that. We've learned also that God doesn't always answer our questions. Nor is He obligated to. No matter how much we want Him to. We don't always get the questions answered. We've learned that even solid believers in the Lord sometimes get depressed and go through some very painful times. I was listening to a preacher who I have come to not appreciate. And he was... To put it in nice terms, he, he was talking about how in your life, if you're going through difficult times, you can't let that beat you down because you are ignoring the blessing that God is waiting to give you if you will just simply believe. It can, it, to shoot the whole retribution thing, the whole prosperity gospel, to shoot all that down, all you need to look at is Jesus Christ. The whole Bible, by the way, this has this is not even a sermon. Anyway, <clears throat> Jim, I'm, I'm ranting. Um, <clears throat> if we think that we will go through life, and that if we just have enough faith in God, then everything will automatically go our way, and we will never deal with any problem that we can't figure out an answer to, a solution to, that nothing really will happen really bad to us, and if bad things happen, it's just a distraction, and we just need to move on and have more faith in God, and that will eliminate all the possibility of bad things happening. Look at Jesus Christ. The whole Bible is the story of Jesus, and the whole Bible leads up to that moment where Jesus died for our sins. Guess what? Jesus had more faith than any of us could ever imagine, and guess what they did to him? They crucified him. Did his faith, did his belief in God the Father get him out of that particular situation? No, it's what led him into it. It's what took him through it. We've learned that bad things can happen to even really solid believers. And we've learned that there is more to God that is worth worshiping than simply what God gives us. It's who He is. And so today, one final sermon to tie it all together. To try to bring all of this into what is the main point of the book of Job. And today, the same theme that we had in the very first sermon is what we'll have in the very last sermon. I could preach on this theme, and, and trust me, I do, every week. This is the theme of every sermon. I could preach on it and never run out of material. Uh, I, I could, could, could address it in every counseling session, and I do, and always need to repeat it. Uh, it's a theme that I've known all my life, and yet I fail quite often to put it into practice. It's a theme that I think would literally change our lives inside and out if we would commit to it wholeheartedly. I believe it's the theme of the book of Job, at least as far as what we can do as a result of learning about this. Turn with me to the very last chapter of Job. Job chapter 42. In the Bible, if you are not familiar with where the book of Job is, don't let that stop you. If you brought a copy of God's Word with you, I would highly encourage you to, to look it up. You can kind of turn to the middle of your Bible. Just kind of put your thumbs in the middle and open it. 
you probably wind up somewhere around Psalms or Proverbs if you do that. And the book of Job is right before the book of Psalms. It looks like the word job, but it's pronounced Job. We're in the very last chapter, chapter 42. I want to look as we begin at the, the last two verses of this last chapter of Job. Job lived 140 years after this. So this is after all of his ordeal. He lived an additional 140 years and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then he died old and full of days. So he gets to see his grandkids and more. Lots of greats in there. And then he died, as it's described here, what seems to be uh, a contented death after a full life. When it says that he was old and full of days, that is a complimentary term that says this guy was ready, if you will, and he had lived a good life. And then they buried him, of course. Now, if he were living today, someone like me would be asked to do his funeral. Someone from his local church. Hey, uh, pastor, would you would you lead the funeral service? Absolutely. Be honored to do that. And so I would go to Job's family and I would try to learn a little bit about him. Maybe some things that I didn't get to experience with him. And I'd say, tell me all about him. And some of you have experienced this with you. And I've gone to your families and I've said, hey, can you tell me more about this person that I didn't know years back? And so the, the, the family of Job, they would tell me their stories and their memories and the lessons that they, they learned from him. And, and I would listen for different themes so that I could tie that together in a funeral message and say, this is what Job's life was really all about. There are many things that could be said about Job at the end of his life. But from beginning to end, and even during the rocky road that we've talked about in this series and all these chapters, the theme that I would preach about in Job's life at Job's funeral would be very, very simple. It would be that he trusted God. That would be the theme. It would be very, very simple. And one day, if you and I are each here long enough, I may be asked to do your funeral. Or someone here may speak at my funeral. And if that's the case, if I'm asked to do your funeral, I'll go to your family. And I'll say, tell me all about them. Decide maybe that, that nobody except you all would really, really know intimately. Tell me about them before I knew them. Tell me about this person. And they would tell their stories. And then they'll tell me your, the memories that they have of you, the lessons they've learned from you. And I'll listen for themes, trying to pick up on what your life has been all about. Well, there are many things that will be said about you at the end of your life. And I may be the one who says them. There's nothing more profound, nothing more important, nothing more impactful that could be said than what was said about Job. And honestly, I hope and I pray that I get to say about you at your funeral the same thing I would have said about Job and that he or she trusted God. You see there at the top of the outline in your, in your bulletin, a little blank. <clears throat> I wonder if, if you would say, you know what, of all the things that I once said about me, of all the things that I would say, put this, this short little phrase on my tombstone, it would simply be that Brad trusted God. And you put your own name in there. Don't put Brad, because that wouldn't make any sense, right? Some of you are following along. Okay, you said Brad. i got to write that down, all right? No, that's for your name right there, okay? That, that's the target. I mean, that's what Job did. That's what we can learn walking away from this series, that of all the things to be said at the end of your life, nothing more profound, nothing more important other than you trusted God. 
And so one last lesson from the book of Job today, as we look at when it was that he trusted God. The first uh, time that he trusted God was before the storm. Job went through a very difficult time, but it was before all that happened that he learned to trust God. Flip all the way back over to chapter 1. The very first verses of chapter 1 tell us who Job was and how he trusted God before the storm. You look at the first few verses, it describes him, tells us what he had and so on. And then verse 8 says this, Have you considered, the Lord talking to Satan, Have you considered my servant, Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Some versions say he's blameless and upright, shuns evil, and fears the Lord. Job was a man of integrity. This is how he was trusting God before the storm. He was a man of integrity. It says he was blameless. It means he's complete. It means he is who God wants him to be. Integrity, of course, means that a person is the same on the inside as they are on the outside. Do you ever you ever wonder if the person that you interact with at church is the same when they're not at church? I was having a conversation, and uh, it reminded me of of uh, making sure to live with integrity. I was having a conversation this morning during the Sunday school hour, and uh, was reminded of a, of a particular person who is in our community, a pastor of a church, and he also works at the hospital. Some of you may know Brett Miles. Brad, of course, is a great pastor at Northside, and, and uh, he once upon a time was an Elvis impersonator. I don't know if you knew that about Brett, but since he's been talking about me recently when I wasn't around, I'm going to pick on him a little bit this morning, and he's not here to defend himself because he's preaching over at Northside. But anyway, but Brett was also an OVC baseball umpire during the time when I was playing for Murray State. And so this week he was describing to one of our church members how intense I got from time to time in the throwing of various objects that happened to be in my hand after a strikeout, namely my bat, my helmet, and whatever else I could get my hands on. And so I had to own up and I said, yeah, that stuff's true. I I was a pretty intense kind of player. But you know, I, I want to make sure in my life, and I'm sure you're the same way, that who I am on the inside is who I am on the outside, that there's not this hypocritical thing going on that I don't recognize. And when there is, as it says about Job, that I shun evil, I'm repentant of it. Job was not a perfect man. None of us are perfect in here. Only Jesus Christ was perfect. But he lived with integrity. He lived with honesty before his Lord and before other people. And when he found himself in the midst of some evil situation or perhaps he had committed some sin, he shunned it. He was repentant of that. Do you realize in the Bible there is one person who is called a man after God's own heart? Do you know who it was? It was King David. Do you know King David's story? Do you know that King David was a guy who thought a little too much of himself and his power and let his guard down one time and he saw a a beautiful woman that he wanted to be with and he didn't care if the woman was single or was married or if he had other obligations or whatever. He desired her and so he sent for her and per the king's prerogative, she was brought to him. And they engaged in a sexual union that was adultery and then she became pregnant. Her name was Bathsheba. 
She became pregnant, and David began to freak out. How am I going to cover for this mistake? And so do you know what he did? He invited her husband to come back from war that he had sent his troops off to, and he said, I want you to go and and you lie with her, and I will we'll consider this maybe that, that it will be his child. Well, uh, the man, of course, her husband didn't know that this had happened, and he refuses. He says, no, 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 no. All my buddies are off at war. I'm not doing these things. He's living with integrity when the king is not. And then eventually David says, it's not going to work for me to cover it up. And so he has her husband killed on the battlefield. So he commits adultery. He commits murder. And yet, almost paradoxically, he's called a man after God's own heart. Do you know why a man who could commit adultery, a man who could commit murder, could also be called a man after God's own heart? Because when Nathan the prophet shows up, do you know what David did? He repented. You and I will not be perfect. We, we, will, uh, we will not live with perfect integrity. But we can be people who are blameless before the Lord because we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ. We can be people who shun evil and when we commit sin we repent of it and we move forward to be restored by God and restored by others toward a deeper walk with Him. That's the kind of man that Job was. He shunned evil. He turned from it. And it says that he feared the Lord. He was a man of holiness and worship. Why was all of that a preparation for what Job would face? Job certainly didn't know that it was. You probably don't know that whatever you're preparing for right now is leading you towards something else. But Job had the right foundation. And centuries later, Jesus would talk about it. Do you know what Jesus said about it? The wise man builds his house upon what? The rock. What is the rock? Whoever hears and does and obeys, Jesus says, the things that I say. Job was that kind of person. And so then when the storms come and the rains fall and the wind beats against the house, what did Jesus say? That house stood, right? Because its foundation was upon the rock. It would be nice if I could stand before you and say, you have nothing to worry about in this life. You are a child of God, a believer in Jesus Christ, and as a result, you are, com- you are completely protected from everything else that other people who don't have faith in Jesus will deal with. That message sells, and it'll preach, and it's wrong. You know as well as I do that you will have things in your life that will be a storm that you don't know what to deal with. Right now is the opportunity for you and for me to prepare ourselves for the storm before it happens by living with integrity, by living with repentance, by living in holiness and worship before the Lord. Out to the side of that before the storm part there, just write the word prepare. Every time that we walk in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, every time that we give ourselves in devotion to Him, Every time when we shun evil and we turn away from temptation and we choose to obey the Lord, we are preparing for the storms that will come. We are building the foundation on the rock, doing what Jesus has told us to do. Job trusted God before the storm and so he was prepared. We can build on lots of foundations. You can build on money and on stuff and on plans and on retirement accounts and on being healthy and whatever. But as I talk with Hank, my son, when we listen to commercials, I hear insurance commercials, and some of you may be in the insurance business. And I, and, and, and I, I, I look at the commercials, and they say, we're here to protect you. And as much as I appreciate the folks that work in the insurance industry, you can't protect me. 
You can replace what was lost, but you can't protect me. That's not a foundation that I can build on. No matter how much money I have in my bank account, no matter how much I put away for a rainy day, that can't protect me from what? The rainy day. But I can be prepared by trusting God before the storm. Job did. Secondly, there's during the storm. Now this is the hardest part. It's real easy, it seems, to trust God before the storm. Everything's all right. We're good. But boy, during that storm, it gets tough, doesn't it? It gets really, really difficult. Yesterday, when all that wind blew through, I was outside. I was trying to get something out of the back of my truck, and my truck has one of those little lids on it, you know, but I'm trying to get that thing closed so that that doesn't break apart and whatever, and then I run into the house, and we weren't exactly sure what's going on, and we, of course, if you know, we've we've moved out of the Parsons across the street, we bought a house, and we've not been through a windstorm in that house, and and so we thought, okay, I, we'll see if this thing is going to hold together or not. We're not totally sure about it. We know the Parsonage will. We're not sure about this one. It was during the storm as we sort of huddled together there that we wonder, okay, is this thing built well enough? You find out, don't you? You find out during those winds if the foundation that you've built upon, if the preparation that you've made, if it's been the right foundation, if it's been enough. Job struggled, of course, in his storm. Anyone would. He endured more than most of us could ever even imagine. He lost everything, quite literally. And all he did was endure the storm. I told you to write out next to before the storm, write out the word prepared. Write the word endure next to during the storm. How how did Job endure? Now, just so you know, we talk sometimes, the old cliche is about the patience of Job. That's a mistranslation. It's actually perseverance. It's not patience. As if Job was just sitting around, oh, as this old grandfatherly figure, just waiting patiently for the Lord to come through. Job was freaking out. Let's be honest. We've, you've seen the story. And what he had to do was choose to endure. And from the very beginning, we see this uh, in um, in verse yeah, in verse ten of chapter two. When his wife comes to him and, he, and she says, why don't you just curse God and die? And he says, should we not accept both the good and the bad from the Lord? And then in verse, in verse 20 of chapter, uh, chapter 1, the song that we'll sing today at the end, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name, the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job chose to endure simply with faith. Later on, he would tell his friends in the midst of all this, I will not give up my integrity. I will not change how I live just because everything went wrong. You ever done that? Everything went wrong, so I'm going to do what I want to do. I've heard the story of Mickey Mantle, a great baseball player. He lost his dad. His dad was a, was a fairly young man, and, and the Mick decided at that point, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because I ain't got very long here. You know what he said at the end of his life after got him Bobby Richardson, who was a Yankee second baseman during the time that Mickey played for him? Richardson led Mantle to Jesus. Mantle gave his, he gave his life to, to Jesus toward the end. And you know what he said? In response to the question, what would you tell kids today? He said, I'd tell them, don't be like me. He said, I wasted everything. I wasted it all. He said, I wouldn't tell them, be like me. Job's a man, however, that we can look at and say, he's, he's not. 
the guy that threw everything out the window just because things went wrong. When everything around him was crumbling, he didn't change the way he lived. He didn't throw off all restraint. He simply lived with integrity. But during the storm, Job also endured with with authenticity. He didn't hide that he was devastated. We're bad about that. I've told you that before. We're bad about that as Christians. We, we hide our hurt and our pain. And, and I get it. Well, we don't want everybody to know our business. And I'm not, I'm not here to talk about everybody's business. But I had a conversation before the service with a friend. And we were just talking about needing to ask some questions. And, and, and what about this in life? And what about these things? Let me encourage you to find somebody you can trust to ask authentic questions. I sent a message this week to my youth pastor, a guy that I grew up with. He's been a tremendous mentor and still a good friend of mine, and I had a question just about life. And I wasn't sure how many people I could trust, and I knew I could trust him. I said, hey, how about this? What have you come across? What have you dealt with in these areas? And I sent a message to Carrie this week, and he responded in the way that I knew he would. <clears throat> Job was authentic. Didn't hide that he was hurting. Didn't hide that he had issues. Trusting God in in your life during the storm doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt or that we should pretend that everything is okay. Job endured in faith and integrity and in authenticity. The book of James gives us something. Let me read this to you. Some help for when you're going through a difficult time. James chapter 1. If you want to write down the reference, you can look it up later. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it a great joy, he says, my brothers, when you experience various trials, when things don't go your way, when stuff really hurts in life. He says, consider it a great joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Endure. When the storm comes, endure. Have you seen the movie The Truman Show? Anybody seen that movie? It's a movie about this guy who didn't know he was his own reality show. And this is all built around him from his birth. This community has been created and they're all actors. And he is the one person who doesn't know he's on TV. And finally he gets to the point toward the end of the movie where he wants to escape all of this. And yet the director of the show has control over the weather in this little bubble they've built in the middle of the United States. Eventually what he does to endure the storm that this director continues to throw at him, the actor Jim Carrey, who's the one who plays Truman, he ties himself to the boat and he says, I'm not going to die here. I will endure this storm. Sometimes, folks, the best that we can do is to simply say, I'm going to tie myself in. I'm going to trust God as best I know. And I'm going to endure until the rain subsides, until the wind dies down. I will simply endure. Knowing that the testing of my faith produces more endurance. Knowing that the trial must complete its work so that I can be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And then, of course, there's after the storm. Job trusted before, he trusted during, and he also trusted after. Look back in chapter 42. Look what happens here after the storm. 
Job has repented, he says in dust and ashes, he's had his conversation with God and he has nothing left to say. And he simply understands that God is God and I am not and I will worship him no matter what. And then verse 7. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves, for you have not spoken truth about me. As my servant Job has. And then the three friends that we've seen, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, went and did as the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Do you see what's going on? God wasn't happy with the friends. We wonder all along in in their conversations with Job, their lectures to him, what's God think about all this? He doesn't say anything until right at the end. And he tells them, you guys have been wrong all along. You've not spoken what's true about me. And then... God has Job stand in for the friends. The innocent standing in for the guilty. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you see how this previews the cross of Jesus Christ? The innocent standing in for the guilty. And Job offers intercession, not revenge. God tells him, you're going to pray for these guys. I'm going to use you in Old Testament fashion as the one who is sort of their priest and I will, 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 will receive their offering. And this is part of the restoration process for Job, part of the the after-the-storm process. There was no word, by the way, on what God was going to do. We'll see in just a moment that Job is given lots of things that he had in the beginning, plus some. There's no word of this. So what is Job doing? He's simply, after the storm, trusting God. Okay, God, these guys made my life miserable for how long? They said things about me that weren't true over and over and over to my face. Telling me that I had done something wrong to deserve all this. Telling me that my kids didn't walk with you and that's why they were killed. Lord, and now you want me to pray for them? Now you say to me they're going to offer a sacrifice and I'm going to pray for them. And now you're going to forgive them? Imagine putting yourself in Job's shoes. You had people do that to you before? Made your life absolutely miserable? What has God said we should, we should, what has God said we should do for our enemies? We should pray for our enemies, love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. Hmm. Part of the restoration process, trusting God after the storm, was for Job to pray for those who had hurt him so deeply. We can't save the people around us, obviously. That's not the point here. But part of the point of the storm, of course, is to make us more like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He stood in for people who crucified Him, who denied Him, who tortured Him, who hated Him, who refused to believe in Him, who still ridicule Him to this day. After the storm, Job had to trust that God knew what He was doing, and he had to pray for his friends. And then you look in verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his prosperity and doubled his previous possessions. So when was it? It was after this. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances, acquaintances, how do I say that word? That's bad. Acquaintances came to his house, y'all still awake, and and dined with him in his house. They offered him sympathy and comfort concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each gave him a kesetah. There you go. 
and a gold earring. So the Lord, look, look at this. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the earlier. He owned 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. That's twice as much. He also had seven sons and three daughters. You see the names of the daughters there and then their description. No women as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land. And their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. That was unusual as well. And then what? Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died old and full of days. There was no promise of this, by the way. Do you understand that? Through all of Job's trusting of God, there was no promise that if you trust me, one day you'll get it all back. You'll get it all back, Job. Just hang in there. There's no promise of that. There was no promise during all of Job's difficulties that if he just endured, just during the storm, trust God, that one day after the storm, you'll get twice what you had before. There was nothing. And yet, that's what God did. But what's interesting is there's no way this happened overnight. Ten children are not born overnight. Thankfully. Right? All four of ours came one at a time. That was enough. One at a time. We can assume that there was some period of time between all the children being born. They were not all given to Job all at once. Nor does do, do cattle and all that, do, do they just increase right overnight, right? This took time. And after the storm, Job had to trust God one step at a time. And as he goes to his wife and she says, hey, I'm pregnant, there's the first one. And ten times over she comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. And his wealth begins to increase and he begins to see God restore him. But the point of that was not that God gave him everything back. The point was that he simply learned to trust God no matter what. Before the storm, during the storm, after the storm. Job got a brand new outlook on life because I guarantee you this. There was no way that Job placed his hope in those children. No way Job placed his hope in all that stuff. He placed his hope in God and he simply celebrated what God did to restore him afterward. Write the word rejoice out to the next or out to the side of after the storm. That involves intercession. That involves praising God for the blessings in our lives. There is no guarantee. I cannot tell you there is a guarantee that if you will simply trust God during your storm, God will give you back plus some everything that's been taken from you during the storm. I can't tell you that. What I know about Job's blessing is that it is simply a preview of what God will do in all of our lives. If we trust in Jesus Christ, does that mean you're going to get a thousand yoke of oxen? In other words, you win the lottery? You never have another financial difficulty? Nope. But does it mean, as the song says that we sang at the very beginning, that when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be? Folks, this is not our home. The sooner that we learn that, the more we can trust God before, during, and after the storm and wait for His ultimate restoration that comes with the return of Jesus Christ to set things straight. Job trusted God. That's what I would have said at his funeral. I would have built everything around that. Job trusted God before the storm. Look at the man he was. During the storm, he never gave up his integrity. He trusted God even though he couldn't see God. And then after the storm, when God began to bless Job again, he simply trusted God over and over and over. 
That's what I hope to say at your funeral. And that's what I hope will be said at my funeral. That Brad trusted God. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't know everything that was going to happen. And even when times didn't look great, he trusted God. That's what I once said. Trust in God isn't just some idea, by the way. It is trust in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. God came into our world to be our stand-in. To live the life that we couldn't. To die the death that we deserve. And to be raised again as the promise for all of us. To see here's what God will do when we trust in Him. And so to prepare us for the storm that is life. To enable us to endure when it gets bad. And to give us cause to rejoice. We simply trust in Jesus. That's the theme of the book of Job. The Job trusted God. It wasn't perfect. Didn't always nail it. But Job trusted God. That's what I would have said at his funeral. That's what I want to say at yours. And that's what I hope will be said at mine. That I trusted God. Jesus Christ was the foundation for my life. And that's what I built on. May it be said of you. May it be said of me. Let's pray together. And I know without any shadow of any doubt that I don't have to get you to look up this morning to admit that every single person in here is struggling in some area with trusting God. There is no doubt in my mind every single person has a particular area, or maybe a few. Maybe you look at your life and you say, I'm not really going through a storm, but I'm trusting myself. Or I'm in the middle of the storm right now and I don't know what to do. And I want to throw off everything and simply do what I want to do. I don't want to trust God. Maybe it's after the storm. And I can see what God has done. Maybe you're struggling. Would you tell the Lord about it this morning? God, you know the area where I'm struggling to trust you. Lord, help my unbelief. And Lord, as we come to the close of this series... Lord, I know there's not a person here who isn't struggling with trusting you in some area. Whether it's with a job or our emotions, our finances, or our pain and our hurt, the things that we've been through, or Lord, a combination of all those things. God, we, we we are people dealing with real life. Sometimes we struggle to trust you. So, Lord, this morning we turn in faith to you before, during, or after our storms, and we simply confess our trust in you this morning to say, Lord, I trust you. We'll need to repeat it again later today and tomorrow and the next day and every day of our lives to remind us that you are worthy of trust, that you are always faithful, that you have never failed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the ultimate showing of God's faithfulness. For living the life that we couldn't live. Dying the death that we deserve. Being raised again to give us the hope and the promise of new life. Lord Jesus, we trust you this morning. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to stand and to endure so that you may complete your work in us, that we may be mature 
and lacking nothing. Help our unbelief, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.